to rest from a vacation. And now if you're like me, you're already looking forward to when the next vacation is. How many days until Christmas vacation? That's just the way we roll in education. We go from vacation to vacation. That's an awful way to live, but sometimes that's true, but that's sometimes the way you gotta do it. But maybe there's a better way, so we can talk about that a little bit today. All right, if you got your Bible, you can go ahead and turn to Esther. We're gonna try to uh, bring this to a conclusion today with Esther. Um, the title today is How is Divine Refer Reversals? Divine Re Reversals. Talking about how God turns things around. We talked about last time, you know, God's sovereignty, that God is in control, but we can also say because of that, God is involved. And it's not just where he just sets things in motion, steps back, takes his hands off, says, okay, let's see what happens. God has started something in your life, and he's going to continue it, so we're going to try to talk about reversals today. Um, before we do that, let's pray. Everybody, can we pray? Lord, thank you so much for, for what you've started in our lives, what you've started here, for what you are doing and what you continue to do. Help us, Lord, to be on board with what you're doing and, and to follow your lead and to learn something this morning. We ask in your name. Amen. All right, divine reversals. We see that a lot in Scripture. Um, you see a lot about divine re reversals. This, these verses from Ephesians 2, God is rich in mercy for his great love where we loved us even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. So we got dead and then quickened, right, alive. That at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world, but now in Christ Jesus, you who sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. We see that reversal from far off to nigh, from dead to alive. So more reversals. You see that in Psalm. Thou hast turned for me my morning into dancing. Morning to dancing, put off sackcloth and girded me with gladness, mourning and gladness, sadness, gladness, see that divine reversal. And then in Acts 26, the gospel, uh, to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. Turn this from darkness to light, a reversal from darkness to light. So that the, the gospel is all about, you know, taking prisoners and making them free men, right? So we're reversing that whole situation. The, the uh, father of the prodigal son said, my son was dead and is now alive again. He was lost and is found. So God's reversing the situation here. Um, God delights in turning things around. Why? Because he can. Because he's God. He can turn everything around. No matter how bleak or dark it seems, God can turn it around. God can change anything. I love that verse in the Bible. I don't remember the exact location, but it talks. the question is asked, is anything too hard for God? I mean, it's more like, not a question, but it's more like a rhetorical question, more like a statement that's saying nothing's too hard for God. Is any, but it's a good question we ought to ask ourselves from time to time. Am I allowing anything in my life or looking at anything in my life or perceiving anything to be too hard for God? Is this something that God just cannot handle? So we ought to think about that, you know, either if it's something we're going through now or in the future. Think about it. Is, is this something that I really think God can handle? 
Well, God can handle anything. There are times in Scripture when God uh, himself acted to directly turn things around. We see God directly involved. If you look, we just talk about the book of Exodus, right? So God is directly working to get his children out of Egypt. Ten plagues. God, that's all God's doing. He initiates those ten plagues. They get to the Red Sea. God parts the Red Sea. They go through. Hey, come on in. God parts the Red Sea. They go through. That's all God's doing. No, no, no man did that. That was God's doing. There were battles in, in, that Israel fought where, um, you know, they didn't have to lift a finger. God, I'm thinking at the time, I don't remember the exact location where the army's marching forward. The, the singers are ahead of them. They're singing. They're singing. They come up over the top of the hill, and boom, the enemies, they're dead. They're wiped out already. They didn't lift a hand, finger. God took care of it all. Times when God directly gets involved. And, of course, our salvation, where God himself came to this earth, took a body, God himself was nailed to a cross, God himself died for our sins, for our punishment. God himself directly involved in your salvation and my salvation. Not something you or I could do, God himself did it. So times when God is directly involved to turn things, some thing, things around. But then there are other times where God is indirectly involved. And that's what we see here in Esther where God empowers his people to turn things around. God is kind of indirectly using his people to turn things around. So we want to look at that today, in Esther particularly, and see how God uses this thing of empowerment. You know, the word empower is, is not a Bible word, just like sovereign was not a Bible word, but we can see that principle. We can see God's sovereign. We can see that principle. And we can see this principle in the Bible. So the definition of the word empower, to give legal or moral power or authority to, to authorize either by law, commission, letter of attorney, natural right, or by verbal license. So God is, is, is this in terms of empowerment, it's like being given the green light to, to go. It's like being given the thumbs up. You are good to go. Someone empowers you. You're saying, okay, go for it. Right, that's what God does here in the book, book of Esther. Um, that's basically what the Great Commission was, right, to the church. Jesus said, all power, all, all the power is vested in me, by the power vested in me, you know, like the minister says at the wedding, by the power vested in me, well, that's what Jesus was saying, by the power vested in me, I have all power now. You have authority now to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. All right, so Jesus empowered his disciples to take the gospel around the world, so that's what he does. Empowerment and Esther, uh, even a little bit more... Uh, God indirectly working because God uses people to empower other people. And that's, that's a lot of how things happen in the world today. God's using people, God's using us to help others, to work, to, help, to, to take the gospel to others. So God is empowering people to empower other people. This statement, listen to this. God prepares people and positions them in places to bring about the divine reversals he wants to accomplish. Okay, I'm going to say that again. Okay, I should have put that on the screen, but here it is again. God prepares people and positions them in places to bring about the divine reversals he wants to accomplish. So if we think about this in terms of Esther, 
So God has prepared Esther and positioned her in a place to help bring about this divine re reversal uh, in, in the book of Esther. So if you, if you think about Esther, okay, so the situation where we're at, you've got, you've got Haman, the bad guy, the villain. He has worked out a plan where all the Jews are going to be destroyed because of his, you know, hatred for Mordecai, because Mordecai wouldn't bow down to him. So this, this plan has been decreed now that all the Jews on a given day, uh, the, the people in, in the province, all of the kingdom of Persia can come together and destroy all the Jews. That's not a good thing. It's not a good thing for the gospel. It's not a good thing for you and I, because Jesus, of course, is going to come out of, the, out of the nation of Israel. So this is definitely not a good thing, and obviously is not what God's going to allow to happen. He's just, it's not going to happen because God's already promised there's going to be a Messiah. There's going to be a way out of this whole mess. So God's going to work out a plan. So he, he's, he's setting in motion this plan to reverse this whole thing. So we, we see now how Esther is, be, becomes positioned. Now Esther, if, if you think about this is in the terms of she's being equipped and positioned. She's being equipped and positioned. Think about it, Esther. Okay, now as a teacher... I see, you know, in, in, I see a lot of classes, and every class, there's usually, you know, one or two kids that stand up. Out of a group of 30 kids, there's usually one or two kids that are kind of head and shoulders above the rest. And even across the whole grade level, you know, whole, I've, I've got like 18 uh, fourth grade classes. So out of 18 fourth grade classes, there's, there's, you know, two or three that even out of all of those, that kind of in my mind, they stand out. Uh, out of all those classes. And then out, out of a whole school, you know, there's a couple kids that probably stand out about uh, from that whole school. And then over the course of decades, I've been teaching now 33 years, so over the course of decades, uh, into my mind, there's several kids that are coming to my mind that stand out over the course of all that time. That's, I think, how Esther was, kind of that, kind of that girl. She, she's that one that stood out, uh, head and shoulders above above others. And as I look at this group right here, I think there are a lot of people in here, if I would say everybody in here, that fits that mold of those standout kids. Okay, think about it. You're, you're in college right now. You're in, you're in church on Sunday morning. Well, that right there tells me a whole lot. You know, you're not your average college kid. When I was in college, I, I, yes, I was saved, but I did not go to church very much. Of course, I was going to a Presbyterian church, and I didn't have much to go listen to, but of course, in there was my cousin. She, was, she would go every week to church, but of course, she would drag me along sometimes. We went to the same college. She'd go every week to church. Okay, okay, make me feel guilty. Yeah, I'll come with you to church this week. All right, but here you are in college. You're in church. You're... you're my guess is you're reading the Bible, you've you're, you got some kind of relationship with the Lord, uh, you're listening to your parents still, you're, you're not rebelling for, for the most part, you're, you're trying to do work your way through school, you're trying to do everything right. So in, in my mind, ladies and gentlemen, you're not the average, you know, 18, 19, 20, 21, 20-something-year-old 20 people. So you would, you would definitely fit in this category of the Esther category, all right? So Esther... It, it, you know, she was, the Bible tells us there's some things that made her stand out. Remember, the Bible says she was she was beautiful to look at. And she, but you know, as you think about this Miss Persia pageant she was involved in, I'm guessing she was not the only you know beautiful girl in this whole pageant. If you you know 
Miss America pageants, there are a lot of beautiful looking girls, but sometimes some of them stand out and I'm thinking maybe what stood out in the King of Persia's mind about Esther was she had that inner beauty that the Bible talks about. She had something on the inside that kind of stood out to this king and said, oh, I think maybe she's the one. So I'm thinking she had something on the inside and some things that maybe tell me that, that, okay, she grew up being raised by, by her, her cousin Mordecai. Her, her parents were killed, when, so she was orphaned at a young age. She grew up with uh, Mordecai. She listened to him. As, he, as a child, and then as she gets older now, she keeps listening to Mordecai. She keeps following his advice. And uh, uh, I see that she's not extravagant kind of person. When the keeper of the, of the women say, okay, it's time to go to see the king now, he tells her what to take, and she just simply agrees with him, and she doesn't, you know, she doesn't use her individualism and say, no, you know, I was thinking maybe I ought to do this and this and this, and no, she just goes, goes along with him, says, okay, that's what you think, let's do it, that's, that sounds good to me. And so so then she's, she becomes queen, and she's fulfilling whatever queenly duty she has. I don't know at this point. But then the situation comes up, and Mordecai comes to her and tells her, okay, we've got the situation. And, and so she's, she puts a plan into place. She doesn't sit around and, and hem and haw about it and wring her hands and say, oh, woe is me. What are we going to do? No, she immediately puts a plan into place. She mobilizes other people. She gets other people involved. She realizes that, okay, I probably can't handle this on myself. She gets other people praying. She's spiritual. Oh, she, she asks people to pray. She fasts. She, she, she gets God involved in this whole thing. And then, uh, you know, she goes through the plan, and she's working through this, and she, she's going through the plan. She has the banquet, and I love what Jason brought out a couple weeks ago about the semicolon there where, you know, the king asks her, okay, what's your, what do you want? What do you want? I'll give you half the kingdom. And she says, my petition is semicolon, she waits, like, it's like something's telling her you ought to not say anything right now. She's actually listening to God at this point. And so, you know, that's a, that's a huge thing. I was wondering before he said that, okay, why, why do we need another banquet, Esther? Why? No, it wasn't the right time. It wasn't the right time. So she's listening for God's timing. And then even after she puts forth the, the problem to the king, and basically she's saved her own neck at this point, but then she's still focused on saving her people and working out this plan. So Esther is not your average, uh, average girl, but the thing of it is, the thing of it that starts her and this, this plan to, uh, to be part of this divine rehearsal is Mordecai empowers her. Mordecai says, Esther, you can do this. Esther, you're the one. You're the one that's been put into place. Mordecai gives her the thumbs up and said, go for it, Esther. You're in that position right now. If you don't do it, somebody else will. So you're right there. Come on, Esther. You can do it. So it takes, it takes somebody to kind of give us that little bit of nudge, and then, man, she's all about it. She's, she's right after. She's, she's, she's part of it. Um, God empowers his people. And then as the, as the plan keeps unfolding, Esther and Mordecai come up with this plan now to empower the Jews to save themselves. Because the, the king has already set this decree in, in place where, okay, he has decreed that the Jews can be annihilated. I mean, and, and the thing of it is, in Persia, when the king makes a decree, it can't be changed, even by the king. The king can't say, okay, I made a mistake. The king said, I think I changed. No. 
It's done. Once it's decreed, boom. So basically the king, when he realized the situation, he says to Mordecai and Esther, hey, I don't know, work something out. Basically all he does, he doesn't come up with a suggestion. He just says, okay, do whatever you want. Here's my ring. Go ahead. Put the put a decree in place. So Esther and Mordecai come up with this plan now to help the Jews uh, escape this annihilation. And we see this reversal. If you want to look in your Bible there, we are in Esther chapter 4. So the, the, here's, the, here's the situation. Esther chapter 4, look at verse 1. Here's the situation, how they are, how these, these, the Jews are feeling at this point. Verse 1, it says, when Mordecai perceived all that was done, talking about this plan of Haman, Mordecai rent his clothes and put on sackcloth with ashes and went out into the midst of the city and cried with a loud and bitter cry and came even before the king's gate, for none might enter into the king's gate clothed with sackcloth. In verse 3, and in every province, whithersoever the king's commandment and his decree came, there was great mourning among the Jews, and fasting, and weeping, and wailing, and many lay in sackcloth and ashes. So that's the situation after this decree goes out that all the Jews should be wiped out. Man, the Jews, this is it. I mean, they're, they're, it's going to be the end of their, their whole race, if you think of it that way. But then when this plan comes in place, where now the Jews can fight for themselves, turn over to chapter 8. Turn over to chapter 8. So now this decree goes out that uh, the, the Jews can get themselves together. They can stand for their life. They can uh, fight back. And the decree goes out into all of the, the kingdom of Persia. And in verse 17, chapter 8, verse 17. And in every province and in every city, whithersoever the king's commandment and his decree came, the Jews had joy and gladness, a feast and a good day. And many of the people then became Jews, for the fear of the Jews fell upon them. So this is even before they, they have their chance to actually fight for themselves. Man, the situation has changed. And they are happy, and they are going to be able to defend themselves and fight for themselves. I'm kind of picturing that, uh, that movie, The Magnificent Seven, with Denzel... Oh, come on, don't tell me you're, you're all so spiritual you don't know about that movie. Where they are fighting and they're, they're, you know, they're getting ready for the, the bad guys to come and attack the city and they're, they're putting up all these defense, digging all these pits and they're all you know, getting ready. I'm picturing that's what's happened with the Jews now. They are, they've got a chance to get their, their weapons ready. They are getting ready to prepare. They're, they're digging the trenches and all this stuff. And, and then, the, then the day comes. And man, the Bible goes on chapter 8 or chapter 9, talks about how 75,000 of these Persians are wiped out because the Jews could stand up and to defend themselves. And then they actually have a, a, a holiday to celebrate this whole thing. And it says over in chapter 922, uh, as the days when the Jews rested from their enemies in the month which was turned in unto them from sorrow to joy and from mourning into a good day that they should make them days of feasting and joy and of sending portions one to another and gifts to the poor. This divine re reversal is going to be celebrated for, for years and decades and decades on end. So God works out this whole plan, and it all started with Mordecai empowering Esther, and then Esther and Mordecai empowering the Jews, saying, hey, stand up and fight for yourself. Uh, so I want to think about how this may apply to us, because we've been talking about purpose. Right? The whole, the whole lesson's been centered on your path to purpose 
and how Esther can be a way to see that. And Jason has really picked out, I think, a good study because this, I think, Esther absolutely applies to this class. Like if, I was, if I'm looking right now at a class of Esther's and seeing how, how might God use you to bring about divine reversals in the world right now. So let's think about purpose and think about how you are empowered to find purpose for your life. God did, God did not just save you just to, you know, okay, be saved and that's it and wait your time for heaven and it's going to be good once you get there. No, God's, God's empowered you right now for life for a life on this earth. So I want to think about how that might uh, apply to you. Um, I love that verse, he that be, hath begun a good work in you will perform it unto the day of Christ Jesus. That's in Philippians 1.6. God's begun something in you. He's, he's begun a divine reversal in your life. Turning you from that, uh, that uh Toilet bowl flushing, <laughs> spiraling downward. I like that picture. That spiraling downward picture of, of your life to a soaring upward traje trajectory for your life. I know some days it feels like, okay, everything is just going down the toilet right now. I'm sorry, I'm talking on this recording, but that's all right. Uh, no, it, your life is not that. Some days may seem that way, but it's not. It's, a, it's a, this. It's this. You're on the upward way. All right, so we're, we're talking about how this is reversed. Remember the definition we had of empower? Remember that was? To give a legal power or authority. You're authorized by law, commission, or attorney. That is, that's not just a motivational pep talk. There's legality. There is legality to your life right now. You understand that? Legal, well, let's look at this. You are empowered to live. The Bible says you are justified. You, you are justified to live. God has given you the thumbs up to live now. When you put your trust in Jesus Christ, faith in Jesus Christ, your sins are forgiven, and you are justified to live. You have, in God's eyes, you are good to go. You have a right to live now because you have trusted Christ as Savior. He has empowered you to live. So, uh, I feel like sometimes we act like uh, we act like the munchkins in the Wizard of Oz, though. You know, after the, the house falls on the wicked witch of the, the east or whatever it is, and, and all you see is little feet sticking out the bottom, and they're all hiding in the, in the, in the bushes, and, and the and they're all like, you know, afraid to come out. We, we can't be that way as Christians. You know, Glinda comes down, the good witch, and she's, come out, come out, come out. That's what we need to be as Christians. Someone telling you to come out, that's what empowerment does. Look around. You got to be like, look, you got to be like Abraham was when he got to the promised land and God told him, hey, Abraham, go explore the land. Go the length and breadth of this land and walk around this land and look around and check it out. Now, 
I'm sure there were, you know, there were things he stumbled over along the way, and I'm sure there were, you know, he stubbed his toe a couple times, and I'm sure that it rained maybe a couple times, and the weather was bad a couple times, but man, he was looking around. He was walking around, looking around. He didn't just walk around with his head down. Uh, that walk around this land. No, he was checking it out, looking at this land that God had given you. Got to you got to approach life that way. You are walking around this land. And I think that sometimes we think the will of God is 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 pretty. When it comes for salvation, yes, there is a the will of God. There's quite a bit of latitude in the will of God for you to for you to go out. Yes, there's boundaries, just like there were boundaries to the promised land. You've got to know where those boundaries are. You've got to stay within the boundaries. But when it comes time to checking out the, you know, the God's will for your life, you can look around. It's okay. You can look around. Uh, we talk about being in God's hand. Well, God's hand is pretty big. You're not going to walk off the edge of God's hand. No, I'm not telling you to go out and explore some things you know you're not supposed to do, and that's what I'm doing. I'm saying at all, but I'm just saying you are empowered to live. Um, I like that verse: "Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with all thy might." Find something to do. Do it with all your might. Find something to do. Uh, you are empowered by faith. You are going to be empowered by faith. You, you've got to stick with what you believe. Because that's going to be attacked all along the way in your life. So you stick with what you believe and you keep going, uh, knowing what you believe. Um, every day, hold on to what you believe. Christ died for us. You've got that. Christ died for us. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Okay, I've got that. My life is not just about checking off boxes. Sometimes it feels that way, but it's not. It's about he that hath the Son hath life. You've got life right now, so live it. You've got life, live it. Be alive, live it. You are empowered by faith, and you are empowered to fight. Fight the good fight of faith. And you say, but I'm, you know, I'm more of a passive kind of person. Well, I guarantee you there's something that pushes your buttons. I am pretty sure of that. I'm pretty sure there's something that's going to irritate the fire right out of you. So what you've got to do is you've got to take whatever that is, you've got to turn that inner snarl into some holy grit and fight. Turn that inner, you know, some days you get up and you got that look on your face and that's the way you feel in the morning. Well, you turn that into some holy perseverance. You're just going to keep going and you're going to have to fight about it. There are just some days you're just going to have to fight. And you may have to claw a few days, and you may have to uh, fight for an inch some days, and some days may just be a fight to take the next breath. But you just keep going, and you fight. And uh, some days it's going to be a defensive fight. You just put up that shield of faith and fight. Some days it may be an offensive fight. But you fight. And, and you, don't, you, you don't give up. You just keep on going. You fight. Uh, keep in mind, too, that the fight is not against flesh and blood. Right? We know that. It's not against each other. It's not against people. Sin is behind it. Uh, we're, we've got an adversary. We know that. Um, we know that there are principalities and there are this whole unseen world that's fighting against us. 
We know we, <clears throat> we the messages of the world are, are you know, just ungodly and, and not about being a Christian, and so we have to fight these lies. But I'm, I'm thinking probably more often than not that the fight is we're going to be our own worst enemy. Usually, that's usually, you know, when you, when I, if I were to talk to a group of Esthers, I would say, Esther, probably you're going to be your own worst enemy, Esther. Because, you know, if you're, if you're an Esther, you got a lot of things going for you, and uh, you're talented, you're equipped, you've got some character, uh, you've got some self-discipline, and the problem with that is life can sometimes tend to be, you know, pretty routine. It can get pretty routine. You've already found out in your life that there's a lot of hoop jumping in life. Yes? There's a lot of hoop jumping. Okay, right now, okay, I've got this project, I've got this test, I've got this project, and da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da, finals, done, check, 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 jump to the hoops, jump to the hoops. Don't, don't, don't think that life is all about hoop jumping. It really isn't. So for, for class of Esther's, here's what I say what you're gonna to have to fight. You're gonna have to fight boredom. Because life is going to get very mundane and routine. And for people that are, are talented and have a little bit going for them, eventually you can say, okay, there's got to be something more to this. Yes, there is. There's much more to this. And you're going to have to fight. But yes, we have to jump through hoops. But yes, there's more to it. So while you're doing the hoop jumping, fight to keep yourself engaged in this thing of living. Fight to find something that will involve you while you're jumping the hoops. Find something that will engage you. Find something you're passionate about. I hope you all have a program of study right now that you're really passionate about. So throw yourself into it. You know, get into it. The kids I find in school that are the best uh, students are the ones that, okay, they don't necessarily love music, but they are willing at that point in that hour of that day of that week to say, okay, I'm here. I'm ready to go. I'm going to do it. You just got to get involved in life and, and find something that you're willing to engage, find some people to engage in, find some new things. Because this, this has been a crazy year. Of, uh, I don't need to tell you that, but you know, we went through that whole time where, uh, so okay, so I was off school from March 13th all the way until August 1st. Oh, my word. That is a long time. Yes, for my wife, for wife. But so I, I had to come up with some other things to, to, to engage myself in. So I tried this blogging thing. Oh, that's just a weird word, it's a blog. So try that for a little while, but it's just something to get your mind engaged, do something productive, do something creative, something new. Uh, okay, so proud papa, I like to brag on my kids, all right? So uh, my kids are all involved in something. Jason, of course, you know what he's involved in. He's, he's, he's got the, the, this driven ministry. He's got, the, he's got the church music, got the goal in this. You see all that going on. Uh, Rachel's now involved in this. She, she and her husband have got this uh, piano ministry on YouTube kind of thing where they put out a... Uh, uh, Arrangements of they put out a Christmas thing and and some just hymns. Uh, Alyssa just started doing the this, the baking ministry thing where she goes she's doing the helping people with baking pies and 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 on. You get Facebook page and Hannah's got her design thing she does on online. So they're involved. They're, they're trying to be creative. They're trying to keep themselves engaged. That's what you got to do. It may, maybe it's not your major 
but you find something you will engage in and keep yourself from getting bored and keep yourself from getting, uh, uh, you know, down in the dumps. Find some new things, create, engage yourself, energize yourself, throw yourself into something. Seek to excel. Ministry, seek to excel. Building the church. Something else you probably have to fight. We're going to go quick. You got to fight self-reliance. People with character, people that have uh, a lot going for them, will tend to start relying on themselves if they're not careful. Because, uh, but if the problem with that, ladies and gentlemen, is that eventually you're going to come to the end of yourself, and you eventually you're going to come to the end of that all your your desires and all your discipline and all your uh, you know things that you you like or things you can do is just not enough sometimes to keep you going. So you, you just can't rely on yourself. And that's why the Lord said, abide in me. Apart from me, you can't do anything. So abide in me. Stay connected to the Lord. Stay connected to what you believe. Stay connected to him. Get your energy and strength from him. Hold on to what you believe. Keep going. And then empower others to do the same. God, God has given you... Uh, He's equipped you so you can help others. You know, pull somebody else along. Somebody bleeding out alongside the road. Pick them up, drag them along with you. Just, just help others. You could be, you might be the Esther God uses to bring about a divine reversal in somebody's life. I do not know the details of your life. That's not what we're talking about, finding the details for your purpose. You may be the one that God uses to, to bring about a divine reversal in a whole people group like Esther did. I mean, you could be. You could be the next missionary that goes to a, a people's group. And, or you could be the person that God uses to bring about a divine reversal in a community or in an organization or in a church or in a class or a family or, or, or in the life of a friend or in a stranger's life. You could be the person that God uses to be an Esther. So just, just be ready. You say, Brother Phil, I'm just trying to get to Christmas vacation. I'm just, I'm just trying to get to the end. Well, look, you, do, you, don't go to, you don't go planning on, okay, I'm going to be part of a divine reversal. No, it doesn't work that way. God prepares those, and God prepares you, and they come along, and you just be ready. Until then, you just, you just hold on to what you believe. You keep fighting. You live by faith, and you keep going. And, and God will do some, see what God does. So let's just end today with this. Are you, you've got the thumbs up to just, hey, live. Go for it. See what God's going to do with your life. Let him take care of the details, but, man, if I were to look at a class of Esther's, I'm looking right now, there are, there are unimaginable possibilities right now that God has for this class. So, man, take a lesson from Esther and just be ready. All right, let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for, for what you've done for us, for what you've done for me, for what you've done for this class. And thank you, Lord, for the salvation that we have for Jesus and for the love that you give us, help us, Lord, to, to live and to live each day focused on you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.